Our Lord and our God, we um, love you. We love your word. We love your great and precious promises, uh, all your encouragements uh, that you give us in your word. We thank you for Psalm 121, how tenderly and how um, strongly it uh, speaks comfort into our souls. Lord, I pray that you would speak your comfort uh, into our souls this morning uh, through your word, through um, the, uh, the, the words of my mouth, through the, the meditations of our heart as we um, sit under the uh, authority of, and uh, comfort of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a bit unusual um, for me to be preaching a sermon from my living room. Uh, I had just gotten used to uh, preaching on camera in a, an empty sanctuary and, and here uh, continuing to be stretched out. Well, I had the slightest indication uh, on Wednesday night that I might be getting a sore throat. On Thursday morning, I had a low-grade fever and it got a little higher during the day. So I had a video visit with my doctor and she said that I had a couple of uh, symptoms of coronavirus. So she had me drive over to her office to get tested, but uh, the results would not be back for uh, five to seven days. So um, I am on quarantine uh, for at least that long. And after sleeping most of the day Thursday, uh, I felt much better on Friday. And um, this is now uh, Saturday, and I feel, uh, continue to feel good. Do I think I have coronavirus? Well, I don't know. It, it affects different people differently. Uh, regardless, my symptoms are mild. I appreciate your prayers. And I am thankful to Dale Lewis that, uh, and to all the wonderful technology that I'm able to, to continue uh, bringing you God's Word this morning and have some contact with you. Since this is the last Sunday of the month, I'm preaching a psalm, and I had a request for Psalm 121. So, Preaching Psalm 121. By the way, I'm still taking requests for psalms. Uh, send me a note, and uh, I would be glad to to um, to preach uh, that psalm. Psalm 121 is a wonderful reminder that God is our help in difficult times, and we are living in difficult times. Sometimes the psalmist will give us a hint concerning the context of the psalm. Maybe the psalmist will give us a title at the beginning to let us know why the psalm was being written. Sometimes King David will tell us that he is the author so that we can discern some, the context from some event that happened in David's life. But Psalm 121 gives no such hints. Uh, we can be certain that the psalmist was struggling under some kind of trial. So we can surmise that he wrote, um, that he wrote this psalm 
to bring comfort and encouragement to himself and also to others and to us who live several uh, millennia uh, after he wrote this. Uh, because he gives us no hints concerning the nature of the trial, it becomes very easy then for us to apply this psalm to a whole range of trials that we might face. In fact, I think God intended it this way. So what trials are you going through? In what areas of your life do you need encouragement? If you need a reminder that God desires to help his children as they go through hardships and struggles and trials, then Psalm 121 is a great psalm for you to hear this morning. I'm always amazed at how easy it is to fall into the error that life is only sunshine and lollipops for God's children. God indeed works all things together for good to those who love him. But it doesn't mean that all good things make us smile. Trials and sufferings are real occurrences for God's children. I'm reminded of what uh, the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. He speaks at length of the trials that God sent uh, to break out upon he and Timothy as they were seeking to serve the Lord. Uh, the trials seemed uh, beyond their ability to endure. Paul felt as if the only way out of these trials was to suffer death. But as God brought he and Timothy through the trial, he understood that God sent the trial to help them learn not to rely on themselves, but God. So it might be helpful to hear Paul in his own words in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. From a human standpoint, life can seem very uncertain, even arbitrary. Why does one person struggle while another person experiences a life of roses and buttercups. Uh, how can one life be so good one moment, but full of disaster and sadness in the next? What will happen tomorrow? What will happen in one hour from now? Life seems uncertain, but life is far from uncertain. God is in control, and he loves his children dearly. God has planned your life from conception to your death. In fact, um, your plans were in his mind and in his heart, in his planning from eternity past. All the events that led up to your conception and birth, everything that happens 
for all eternity concerning you has already been planned out. Your life and all its circumstances are in the hands of God who dearly, deeply loves you. Every hour of your life, every detail of your life has been exhaustively prearranged by God. Every good thing, every blessing, every joy has been preordained. But that also means that every difficulty, every accident, every trial has been predestined as well. God is in control of your life. Now, he is not the author of temptations in our life, but that, that does not mean that he is not in control. Now, admittedly, this is a big topic that I just raised. Uh, I can't uh, address this topic of God's sovereignty and um, the doctrine of sin and the doctrine of evil and how those two things, uh, what the Bible says about those two things, um, that's, that's simply too big a topic right now. I've addressed um, this topic previously in the pulpit at Westminster, but I cannot do it now. I simply want to drive home the biblical truth uh, that, as Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. And that includes all things in our life. It's easy to forget this important truth when we are living in the middle of a trial or going through some intense suffering. We're often tempted to forget the Lord and to ask where we might find help here on this earth. And it would seem that the psalmist made this same mistake. Look with me at verse 1. The psalmist says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? From some of the issues that psalmist raises here in Psalm 121, we can surmise that he was living through some very difficult trials. It would seem that he felt uneasy about his circumstances. It would seem that he thought that one misstep could cause him to slip and fall. I get the feeling that his troubles and anxieties were threatening to overcome him, but he was reassured that God was with him and would keep his feet steady. I think that's why he wrote uh, in verse 3, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. <clears throat> Even though it seemed like his, his circumstances were threatening to consume him, He's speaking here of God's love for him, of God's commitment to him. Life for the psalmist seemed to be difficult during the day, and so at night he would lay uh, awake brooding over the trials. Uh, so he writes in verse 6, The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. He seemed to think that evil was pursuing him. Verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. So he asks 
in verse 1, as he started this, this psalm, where, from where does my help come? And his first instinct was to look up to the hills. Um, Jerusalem was built on a hill. So I think he, the, the idea is he was looking up to Mount Zion, to Jerusalem, where the temple stood in all its majesty. But he quickly realized that his gaze was too low. He needed to look beyond the hills, above the hills. He needed to look higher. And in verse 2, he found the proper focus for his gaze he rightly perceived that he needed to look beyond the hills to the one who made the hills. Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. God, our God, made heaven and earth, and he is infinitely powerful. He, he holds all his creatures, in, indeed all his creation, in the palm of his hand. We live, we move, we have our being in the hands of a God who loves us so much that he sent his own dearly beloved son to go to that awful cross, to suffer punishment in our stead, that he might give us life, that he might give us uh, fellowship and communion with him. He loves us that much. Don't miss the logic of that statement. Jesus made this argument to Nicodemus. Paul made this same argument in Romans chapter 5 and again in Romans chapter 8. Peter made the same argument in 1 Peter chapter 1. God loves his children so much that he sent his own beloved son into our sinful, broken world in order that his son might be rejected, that he might be hated, that he might be mistreated, that he might be falsely accused and ultimately nailed to that awful cross. And on the cross, Jesus became the sin offering for sinners like you and like me. He became a curse, and God the Father punished him in our place. He who knew no sin became sin for us, so that in him we might be the righteousness of God. If God loves us that much, and Paul asked um, in uh, Romans 8, and I'm paraphrasing, uh, will God be stingy? Will God be slow to bless us? Will God forget us while we're going through a trial? Or again, to quote Jesus, will, will he give us a snake when we need bread? Will he allow anything to separate us from his love if he loves us so much that he gave his son in our place? Psalm 121 is telling us that God is our keeper. No matter how tenuous your footing may, may seem because of the trials, 
God will not let your foot slip. He will keep you. That is a promise. Again, um, verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. Furthermore, you can be certain that he will never take his eye off of you. Again, verse, the second half of verse 3, continuing on into verse 4. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber <clears throat> nor sleep. God, your God, knows your life. He knows your fears. He knows your uncertainties. He knows and cares about everything that you care about. He's not just observing as a bystander. He keeps us. The word keep appears six times in Psalm 121. Again, the second half of verse 3, he who keeps you will not slumber. Um, in verse 4, behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Verse 7, the word keep appears twice. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. And then verse 8 concludes the psalm. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. The word keep gives the idea of preservation, of holding on to, of maintaining, of keeping watch over. It means that God is going to stick with us, that he's going to attend to us, that he's going to protect us, that he's going to bless us. The perils and trials create uncertainty from our perspective, but our security in God's hand is certain. I want to direct your attention back to verse 5. It's a curious verse for me, at least the second half of the verse. The first half of the verse is clear. I've quoted it several times. The Lord is your keeper. It means he's your faithful companion. He's your very present help in trouble. But the second half of verse 5 is curious. What does it mean when he says, The Lord is your shade on your right hand? At first, I thought the imagery might be of a shield, and the, 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 the warrior is holding the shield in his right hand, and so he uses it to block the heat of the, the sun, and so it creates shade. But as I thought about it, he would need his right hand to hold the sword to fight. The shield goes in his left hand. But he says here, the Lord is your shade on your right hand. So I'm guessing that the psalmist is saying exactly what he's saying here. Uh, the Lord is his right hand companion. God is standing at his side, shielding him from the unrelenting heat of life's trials. If life were just capricious, with no rhyme or reason. Life would be unbearable. 
who's to say that one trial won't continue beating upon us like an unrelenting uh, uh, tidal wave? Who's to say that, uh, that life won't become unlivable? Oh, God is our right-hand companion. And all the trials that he sends our way come through his mediating presence, come in the shade of him walking with us through those trials. God controls the trials as we pass through them. That's why we can rejoice in our trials. James chapter 1, James 1, 3. Uh, rejoice, or count it all joy, or count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you fall into various trials. We couldn't say that if life was capricious. Or Paul says, we have joy in our sufferings in Romans chapter 5. Again, how could he, how could he have joy if God was not ultimately in control of the trials? So as his right-hand companion, God is with the psalmist as his best friend. God's promised blessings go everywhere that the psalmist goes as he lives through the troubles of the day or agonizes at night. God is with him. So he says, verse 6, The sun shall not strike you by day, because his right-hand companion is going with him and giving him shade, nor the moon by night, because he who keeps you will not slumber. He is your right-hand companion, even as you lay, at bed, lay in bed, wondering and uh, struggling over the day's events. Psalm 121 promises that God is your right-hand companion too. This is the reason for the psalmist's strong confidence in verses 7 and 8, where he says, The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. You know, if, if we must take a journey through the valley of the shadow of death, and all of us must walk through that valley, either toward our own death or uh, with loved ones who uh, walk through that valley uh, before we do. We can fear no evil because God, our right-hand companion, goes with us. You go out in the morning to work. All the trials, all the, the hardships that go along with leaving the house, going about your day, God is with you. You come home in the evening. God, your right-hand companion, comes home with you. 
Psalm 121 teaches us to hope in God because he keeps us. How does he keep us? He keeps us in his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, you've probably seen me use this illustration before. It's one of my favorite illustrations because it speaks so loudly to me every time I think about it. If this is us, we are, we are in Jesus Christ, no matter from what angle, from what viewpoint God sees us. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. And anything from the world, <clears throat> any trial, any struggle, any evil that comes at us has to go through Jesus Christ to get to us. God, your right-hand companion, keeps you. Don't underestimate the power and the certainty of that promise. We are in Jesus Christ. Nothing can snatch you out of his hand. You are secure in him. And not only are you in Christ, but Christ is also in you. He has sent his spirit to make our heart his home. He keeps your faith. The Holy Spirit keeps your faith in Christ so that your feet will not slip. He gives you an unstoppable thirst for communion with God. He convicts you when you go astray. He encourages you with the great and precious promises of the scriptures, the promises from Psalm 121. When you go out, the Holy Spirit goes out with you. When you come in, he comes in with you. And this is his promise, not just for today, not just when you are going through hardships, but for all time, forever. Again, verse 8, the Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. If you are God's child, God, the triune God, is your right-hand companion. I hope that encourages you today as we pray together. Oh, Lord God, I thank you for Psalm 121. I thank you that um, after the psalmist asked the question in verse 1, that there are seven verses of pure, unalloyed comfort for your children. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen and encourage us today for, and forevermore, knowing that you will keep us in our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.